Well, good morning. Thank you for that. And I invite you to take your Bible and join me in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. The one who said it is finished, it's all paid for. Salvation is accomplished, continues to finish a work which has begun in everyone for whom he has atoned and ransomed. Philippians 1.6, it is God who began the good work and he will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Purchased, finished, and now being finished by his amazing grace. You know, I know you were just standing. Would you stand with me one more time in honor of God's word? Life on life. The passage I've chosen to share my life with you and God's word with you today is Mark's gospel, chapter 6, verse 45. And by the way, before I read this, let me say thank you for sharing your life with me. I've been here over a little over a month with you, and it's been just a, a blessing to me and to my family. Uh, you've shared your life with us, even as we've desired to share ours with you. So thank you. Thank you for making us feel welcome. Thank you for inviting us in. Thank you for opening your life. Thanks for making us a part of what God is doing in you, and hopefully we'll get to grow together in ways we couldn't have imagined. Verse 45, Mark 6. And immediately, he, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sending the multitude away. And after bidding them farewell, he departed to the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the midst of the sea and he was alone on the land. And seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him, and they were frightened. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were greatly astonished. Verse 52, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. This is the word of God, inspired, authoritative, and given not just for the benefit of the disciples this event, but for the benefit of our life. So, Father, thank you for your word through the inspired revelation of your servants. Thank you for the greatest and the best of all. And I pray today that you would open our eyes, you would expand our understanding, you would enlarge our heart, you would strengthen us. Lord, you would teach us from your word. And to that end, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Six years ago, 
my life and the life of my family changed. My 13-year-old son began to struggle physically. Had suffered a concussion and an injury in football his first year playing that sport with pads. He began a series of losses physically and his capacity was limited. By the time we got to the second semester of his freshman year in high school at our Christian school in Birmingham, Parker was unable to continue to do school. And he continued to decline, pain everywhere, inability to concentrate without a headache, everyday hurting, everyday difficult, not being able to do life as you, many of you, have been able to do it. We began a journey six years ago trying to find solutions. 40 plus doctors and caregivers, well-intended, everyone desiring to be helpful. And yet we got no solutions and we really found no answers early on. We just lived day to day, week to week, month to month, wondering when things would change. About one year in, during one of his series of assessments, my wife Karen began to express, as we understood some of the dynamics of what was going on in him, at least symptomatically, she said, well, I feel like that too. And so we began a journey that ultimately was concluded that uh, Parker and Karen had Lyme disease, which we have found out since then is the second largest infectious disease in the world right behind AIDS. Lyme attacks your body. It's kind of a systemic issue. You get other issues because you're vulnerable. Your immune system doesn't work. Your body gets attacked. You're unable to fight. And there's an accumulative effect. And in the South, where we were from and have been for the last 27 years, there's debate about Lyme, how it's diagnosed, what its symptoms are. And in fairness to those who seek to assess it, it's hard to assess because it masquerades as many things. Our life changed. I became a caregiver, serving a church, now serving it at home in ways that I hadn't before. Good news is I've been domesticated. I, uh, I can cook, uh, I can clean. All of those attributes were possible. They're now actually functional because my family needed a father and a husband to provide more than shepherding care to a church. We've had many hard days. There are nights when we spend most of the night awake, trying to make it through the night. There are nights when we can't sleep. And there are days and nights that just go on and on and on and you feel like, is this ever going to end? People ask me as a pastor, especially days past, how's it feel? My son is in church a couple of days, Christmas Eve and Easter, a year. My wife would come once in a while and rarely. How's it feel? I'll tell you how it feels. It feels like I'm a marathon man feels like a man who's a marathoner that doesn't know what mile marker he is at. I don't know whether I'm at the five-mile marker or the 20-mile marker. 
I don't know if I'm near the end or if this is just the way it is. I've chosen this passage today because maybe some of you feel like we feel. Maybe you feel maybe confused, maybe concerned, weary in the way, rowing for all you're worth, feeling like you're going nowhere, hopeless, maybe helpless, tired, you want to quit, you're doing the best you can. I have chosen this passage today in an effort to help someone like me. In an effort to share with you something I wish I would have known. But I believe is not only helpful. In the eyes of God, it is non-negotiable. This is Mark chapter 6. This is a training season. The disciples have been appointed, Mark 3. This section of the Gospel of Mark is a series of events and teaching moments with Jesus designed to train them, to equip them. This is discipleship training. This is life on life, the master with his men. These are truths they need to understand. And this particular passage, I think, is one of the most critical discipleship lessons for difficult times. It's truth for tough seasons. These are things disciples have to know. These are truths that are non-negotiable. And what I'd like to do out of my life in this text today is plant anchors, seeds in your life that you can count on because it's authoritative as revealed by God in this inspired revelation that will help you to know in the long, dark nights that there is a God who can. There is a God who sees. And there is a God who cares. There is a God who is for you. And when you don't know what to do, when you ask yourself, what am I going to do? How do I go on? When you ask the question, what do you do when you know, don't know what to do? Here are truths that define the answer to that question. Because I believe, whether you know it or not, the God who loves you brings events into your life. He's a good God. And he brings events into your life that are bigger than you. That are harder than you ever thought. In, a, in order to accomplish work that must be done. Because the one who began the good work, he is faithful. He is committed to complete that work. Imagine a face-to-face -face with Jesus, kind of a, a mission process meeting where at the end of this walking on the water event, rowing all night for all your worth, imagine a face-to-face, -face, a heart-to-heart -heart with the servant king. Imagine him sitting down with the disciples and they're sharing and reflecting and processing. I think these are the lessons he would say to those who have endured and are enduring such difficult seasons. These are the lessons you need to learn about me. 
And these are the lessons you need to learn for you. Number one, at the debrief processing meeting, I think the very first thing Jesus would say, a lesson you need to learn about me, I am sovereign. I am sovereign, which is to say, I rule. Jesus is acting in this story. He is not reacting. He's in charge. He has a purpose. He has a plan. He's operating according to his plan. He is not reacting. He is not passive. He is purposeful. It is not random. He is sovereign. I want you to notice the words in the text, verse 45. You might have missed them. Immediately, this is after the feeding of the 5,000, probably up to 30,000. This is after he taught the lesson of our responsibility and his great ability. This is after he said, I can do a lot with a little if you'll give it to me for them. Immediately after that mammoth event, he made his disciples get into the boat. I just want you to focus on he made them. Emphatic in the Greek language. He himself made them authoritatively get into the boat, go ahead to the other side to Bethsaida. Notice this. While he himself, another emphatic phrase, so he made them and then he himself sent the multitude away. Now to appreciate the weight of those words and the authority housed in them, you need to understand parallel passage, John's gospel, chapter 6, the backstory. What's not recorded in Mark contextually is provided us in John chapter 6, where at this time you hear these words, John 6, when therefore the people saw the sign, this is verse 15 or 14 of John 6, context, same story, same time, just a little more information. When therefore the people saw the sign. Now that sign is a visible validation of the identity of Christ, the capacity of Christ, the deity of Christ. When they saw the feeding of the 5,000, that sign, that evidence of who Jesus is and what he's capable of and his divine nature, when they saw that sign, they said this. This is of a truth, the prophet who has come into the world. And Jesus, perceiving, verse 15, that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Now, here's the backstory. I see, we see this sign. We want to force you to be king. We want to exercise our collective leverage, impose our will on your way, and make you our king. And the Bible says not only did he refuse to be made king, he sent them away. He told his disciples, you go away. He made them get into the boat. He made the multitudes depart. Why? Because their intention was not in concord with his sovereign plan. It wasn't according to God's plan at that time. And the, the bottom line is, Jesus is sovereign over all plans. Here's a life lesson, as if Jesus were sharing it with you as he communicates in this reality. I have a plan, 
And it is not determined by the will of the people, but rather by the will of God. I have a time which is defined by the Father, not by circumstance. I am sovereign. I am not a victim. I am, not in, I am in control, not the culture. I have, a, have authority regardless of the majority and the will of the many. I have authority over you. I have authority over the multitude. I will do what I want, when I want, how I want. I am beholden to no outside factor, no matter how emotional, how impactful, or how large it is, I rule. It is according to my plan, my will, my way. I think Jesus would say, recognize that authority. Rest in my rule. I'm not only a servant, I am a king. I'm not only a savior, I am sovereign. I don't need you to accomplish my will my way. I have a plan, I have a time frame, I will work it out no matter the pressure or the challenge. I am sovereign. I am working all things according to my plan. Don't be anxious. Be confident. There is a purpose. There is a time. There's a process. I think Jesus would say to his disciples, don't ever forget this. I am sovereign. I control the time. I control the plan. I control the outcome. And I don't just do so for the outworking of my life. I do so in the outworking of your life. You can feel this and let it strengthen you in this foundational conviction that God is sovereign, that Jesus is sovereign, not only of these events, but all events. Sovereignty seen in the timing. Listen to these words, John 2, verse 4, when there was a wine shortage and Jesus' mother Mary came to him and said, hey, fix it. And Jesus said to her, woman, what do I have to do with you? Time word. My hour has not yet come. John 7, to his family, who said, look, go up and reveal yourself. It's a big feast. If the goal is to be on display, then go up and show off. If you do these things, verse 4, show yourself to the world. Verse 6, Jesus said to them, my time is not yet at hand. Verse 8, go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. When his adversaries were wanting to seize him, because he said, I know the Father, I am from him, he sent me, verse 29, or verse 30 of John 7, they were seeking therefore to seize him, and no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Later in the treasury, and he taught in the temple, he said, my father and I were one. He knew me, I know him, and the Bible says, verse 20, he taught in the temple, yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. And then Luke, 5, Luke 9, 51, we turn a corner, and it's now the hour has come. Verse 51, and it came to pass that when the time was come that he should be received up, he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. John 12, Jesus said to his disciples, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. John 13, Jesus, knowing his hour had come, 
John 17, to the Father, these things Jesus spoke. He lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said to the Father, the hour has come. Young men, young women, God is sovereign over time, over circumstances. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And Jesus has authority over that plan and that purpose. This is one of the basis of praise in Romans 5. At the right time, why we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 1 Timothy 2, Paul said, Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. Acts 2, Peter this man you delivered up by the predetermined plan and knowledge of God. Jesus Christ has authority over time. He has authority over the plan and the process. Jesus Christ has all authority, Matthew 28, when he said to his disciples after his resurrection, all authority is given unto me, both in heaven and on earth. Here's a point I'd like you to plant deep in your heart. Your circumstances, your hard season, your confusing reality, know this. There is a king who is sovereign, who is ruling over the time and the place and the purposes and the circumstances. Matter of fact, Ephesians 1 says, in him, Christ, we have been chosen, we have been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You acknowledge authority that is bigger than your circumstances. And you submit to timing that you don't rule over, but God does. What you have going on, as I have going on, is not random. It is not without purpose. You could look at this and say, wow, what a bad break. Boy, I wish it was different. This has no purpose. It has no meaning. Why me? Listen to me. There is a king who is ruling over time and circumstances, and he plans everything, and he works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Here's another lesson that kind of fits under God's sovereignty and timing. When you obey, it is not always easy. You can be in God's will, and it can be hard. One of the things I think it's important to note in this particular section is the recognition that is also found in the first couple of verses that they were doing, the disciples, exactly what they were supposed to be doing. And I think there's a perspective when life's not working, when things are hard, when you're rowing for all you're worth and going nowhere, when it's confusing, when it's wearying, when it's difficult, I think there's often a truth or a, a challenge, a perspective that can, can come into our life which says, man, I must be out of God's will. This is too hard. There's too much resistance. And we tend to think that if we obey, our life will be easy and that obeying guarantees smooth sailing and effortless advance. We tend to believe that if it's hard and no progress is evident or imminent, 
then we're not in God's will. Truth. These disciples in this hard time were doing exactly what they were supposed to do. They were commanded, verse 45, to get into the boat and go to the other side. It's not like they left on their own, verse 46, after bidding them farewell. It's not like he said, hey, hey, fellas, where are you going? But rather he said, go, and then he formally confirmed his, his command, his wishes, his authoritative direction. They were exactly where they were supposed to be, doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. And here's a truth. You can be exactly where God wants, in the school God wants you to be in, in the circumstances you're in, on the team you're playing for, in the, in the journey of life, and you can be exactly where God wants you, and it can be very hard. Keep rowing. Did he direct me or not? Did he confirm his direction? If so, resolve to keep on rowing. Look, Jesus faced resistance in obeying. Paul faced resistance in obeying. There is no disciple of Jesus who doesn't face resistance when they're pursuing the commands and the directives of God. Keep rowing. Opposition or the lack thereof does not define God's direction. Difficulty or the lack thereof does not mean you are out of God's will. And by the way, you don't always end up where you thought you were headed, even with Jesus in the boat obeying his will. I just think it's interesting. Look at verse 45. He, he told them to go to the other side, Bethsaida. Now, now that's northeast. And if you turn the page, well, you maybe don't have to turn your page. Verse 53, and when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret. Now, does Bethsaida and Gennesaret sound like the same thing to you? Well, as I understand it, Bethsaida is northeast, Gennesaret is northwest. So when you obey God, when you're in God's will, doing God's work, even if it's not going in the way you want it, even if it's difficult, understand this. He may take you to places you didn't think you were going to go. You may land in places you never imagined. Keep rowing. Trust him. He has a purpose. He has a plan. And if you understand that, would you say amen? Number two. I think the second thing that he would say, I am human. I am human. I want you to notice what happens in Mark chapter 6 after he dispatches the multitudes and his men. Verse 46, he departed to the mountain to pray. He was alone on the land. Verse 47. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Here's how I think he would answer that question. Not only submit to my timing, resolve and rest in my rule, but do what I do. Seek God. Take time for God alone. This is 
the evidence of the God-man who's not only divine but fully human, communicating his need for personal communion with the Father. This was his pattern, Luke 5, 16. He himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. John 6, parallel passage, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Matthew 14, 23, he sent the multitudes away and went up into the mountain alone to pray. Here's a life lesson. Jesus in his humanity, I need refreshment. I need recovery. I need rest. I get tired. I get weary. And I give, and I get empty, and I get lonely, and I need communion with the Father one-on-one. There are some things a Christian and a disciple cannot do in a crowd. And that is commune with God in a way that fully refreshes We don't have time to unpack it all, but this is a season of fatigue. Look at verse 30 of chapter 6. The apostles gathered together with Jesus. They reported him all that they had done and taught. Remember, they had been dispatched on their mission. They're sent out, verse 7. They come back. They reported to him all they had done and taught. So it's a big debrief meeting, verse 31. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a lonely place. Rest a while. Now watch the parenthetical, for there were many people coming and going. They did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a lonely place by themselves. So they're returning from ministry. It's kind of their outreach week. They're experiencing spiritual fatigue, physical fatigue. Oh, and by the way, there's some emotional fatigue because while this is happening... Word comes from John the Baptist's disciples, Matthew chapter 14, which says, John has been beheaded. And Matthew 14, 12 says, and that was reported to Jesus and his disciples. So we're weary, we've been working, we've been serving, we've not been eating, and an emotional, impactful moment, John is dead. Herod has beheaded him. And then, verse 33, the retreat plan unravels. Verse 33, the people saw them going and many recognized them and they ran there together on foot from all the cities and they got there ahead of them and disembarking, he, Jesus, saw the great multitude. He felt compassion for them. They were like a sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things and when it was already quite late, his disciples came up to him and began saying, the place is desolate, it's already quite late late send them away verse 37 he said Jesus said to them give them something to eat so they're tired and we thought we were going to get a break and now we're not going to get a break and we're not only not eating we're emotionally impacted this is a tough season and during this tough season the master of everything models a priority you need to pursue when you don't know what to do you need to do what Jesus did. You need to do what Jesus regularly did. You need God just like he needs God. You need time alone with God. Look, daily devotions, I like to say, is loving God by taking time daily for God alone. But there's another way to see daily devotions, and that is being refreshed by God in communion with God alone. Thirdly, let me hurry to this one. This is the heart of it. Those are truths, lessons you need to learn about him. I am sovereign. I am humid. 
human, do what I do, do what I regularly do, not only rest in my rule, but rest like me. But there's a third thing. This is the heart of it. This interesting verse, verse 28, 48. And seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. And these interesting words. And he intended to pass by them. Does that bother anybody? What is up with that? They are straining at the oars. They've been rowing all night long. It's the fourth watch of the night, three to six in the morning. They're weary. They're tired. They were already tired. So he's going to walk on the water, which is cool. But then it says he intends to pass by them. He intended to pass by them. What does that mean? One of the most terrific truths you will ever learn. And that is a truth that they had a hard time learning. And that is Jesus' declaration, undeniable, never done this before kind of a moment, which says, I want you to know I am more than a prophet. I want you to know that I'm more than a good teacher. I want you to know that I'm more than a good healer. I want you to know that I am God. And the one who sees you, the one who comes to you, is not just a strong man. This is God, very God. You have God with you. You have God for you. You have God who sees you. And the truth is, they hadn't learned that lesson. I mean, think about it. Matthew, Mark chapter 4, he calms the winds and the seas with peace be still. And the answer was, what kind of man is this? And then he heals the demoniac, which nobody could control, chapter 5. And he's sitting in his right mind, and he's seated, and they're looking at him. And, and, and they don't draw the right conclusion that Jesus must be more than what others are. And then this feeding of the 5,000 event. This event where, oh, now, hold on, I skipped uh, chapter 5 where he heals the woman who's 12 years like me, enduring much at the hands of many physicians and not making much progress, not making any. As a matter of fact, she feels like she's going backwards, and Jesus in a moment heals her. And then Jairus' daughter, the temple official, 12 years old, re resurrects her from the dead. Wouldn't you think somebody, after feeding 5,000, up to 30,000 people in total, 5,000 men, don't you think somebody who's watching and walking with Jesus, his disciples, would have said, you are not like anybody else. You are God. This is a non-negotiable conviction that's going to define the rest of our ministry life. It's going to walk us through every kind of a hard time. You are God. This pass by, it's interesting if you read what commentators say. Well, he's, he, he's going to overtake his disciples and playfully surprise them on the other side. Uh, this is about we're having fun. <laughs> I say, that's fun for them. Or he wants to pass by and he, he doesn't really, 
he, he doesn't really uh, want to be recognized because part of the deal is don't tell anybody. But notice what it says in verse 52 that they had a hard heart. They hadn't gained any insight. The implication is they were supposed to gain it. So how is it an issue of I don't want to be recognized? The fact is I do want you to recognize me. Or maybe Jesus is trying to test their faith. SEAL team training. How long can you handle this? How long can you hold up before you, t you cave? How tough are you? Can I tell you what he's trying to say to them, which I believe with all my heart he wants to say to you to lock down a non-negotiable reality in your life? He wants to establish, I am God, and this is an undeniable revelation of who I am. And it is to comfort you, it is to encourage you, and it is to strengthen you. This uh, pass-by event happens twice in the Old Testament, and this is how you must interpret this. He's not, he's not saying, I'm going to pass them by, but rather I'm going to pass by them. Why? To reveal undeniably who I am and what I can do, my capacity as a means to encourage them in the way. Twice, the Old Testament, write this down. Exodus 33, 18 through 34, verse 8. The first pass-by event was with Moses. Life was tough. Things weren't going well. Things were actually unraveling. He goes to the mountain to receive the commandments from God. He comes back down. The children of Israel have created an image, a golden calf. They have worship this idol. They are they're behaving in a dishonorable way. They're out of control, the Bible says, so much so that Moses dispatches the Levites to go and clean up the mess. It doesn't matter whether it's your father. It doesn't matter if it's your mother. You take your sword and eliminate this debauchery. And 3,000 Israelites died that day. And Moses was their leader. So he meets with God. And says, God, are you going to go with me? This is hard. This is not working. This is unraveling. This is bad. How are we going to make it? Exodus 33, whom will you send, verse 12, with me? And God says, my presence will go with you. And Moses says, verse 15, Exodus 33, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not lead us up from here. In other words, if you don't go I don't want to go. It's as bigger than me. I can't make it without you. Which leads to this. Everybody knows this. This is Exodus 33, 18. So Moses says to God, after God says, I'll go with you, then show me your glory. Show me who you are. And God said to him, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. The Lord said, Verse 21, behold, there's a place by me. You shall stand there on the rock, and it shall come about while my glory is passing by. And I will put you in the cleft of the rock. I'll cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Verse, chapter 34, verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud, stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and the truth. He keeps loving kindness for thousands and he forgives iniquity. Moses, 
I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know it's coming apart. But I'm with you. Show me. And God passes by with all of his glory to reveal his identity, to strengthen his leader, to say, I'm with you, and this is who I am, and you can count on me. I'm God, and I'm showing you my glory. The second pass by event is 1 Kings 19. The event involves Elijah, another big player. Elijah's running from Jezebel. She puts the, the word out. Remember, he killed all the prophets of Baal. And so Jezebel hears from her husband, Ahab, the king, and says, hey, he killed all the prophets of Baal. And Jezebel says, hey, I'm going to do to him what he did to them. And this is a guy that calls down fire from heaven. This is a guy who experiences God. This is a guy who's running for his life. This is a guy who finds himself in the wilderness. This is a guy who becomes afraid. He comes to Beersheba. And he says to the Lord, it is enough. Take my life. Take my life. I'm not, I'm not any better than my father's. All is, all is lost. <laughs> I love this. First Kings 19. God told him to rise and eat. And then he brought him to a cave and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing, Elijah? What are you hiding in a cave? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. The sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down the altars. They killed the prophets with the swords. But I'm alone. I'm the only one left. They seek my life. They want to take it away. Now listen to this. God says to him, go forth, stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. A great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking pieces of rock before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. In other words, God's revealing what he can do. He's not the wind. He's not the earthquake. He's not the fire. The Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, sound of gentle blowing. And it came about when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Behold, a voice came to him and said, Here we go again, Elijah. What are you doing here? Why are you here? Why are you not doing what I sent you to do? You're in the cave. So I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to strengthen your heart by this revelation. You may be rowing for all you're worth. You may be running. You may be tired. You may want to quit. You may want to die. Here's what I want you to know. I am God, and I reveal myself by passing by. You know what Jesus was doing? And I'll wrap this up. He was undeniably showing them in a way they couldn't deny, walking on the water. Only God can walk on the water, Isaiah says. Only God treads upon the seas. Undeniably saying to them, I am God. I am for you. I see you in the darkest part of the night. And because I see you, I will come to you. And I will come to you to reveal myself to you. Listen to me, there are things about God you will only learn in difficult seasons. Hard things have a purpose, and one of their chief purposes is to illuminate and to reveal the nature of your God. A, that He is God, that He cares, He comes, He sees, and He will reveal Himself. 
And he will comfort with his words. He will comfort with his presence. He will pass by. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You look for the one who sees you even if you can't see him. They're four miles out into the sea. It's dark. It's the latest part of the night. It doesn't matter. God can see. He sees you. The psalm that Chuck read, he sees and he understands. Do what anybody would do who understood that Jesus is God, who sees, and because he sees, he cares. And because he cares, he comes. And he will bless you with his presence in a way that you wouldn't expect at a time you wouldn't expect it. As the chapel band comes, as we come to a conclusion this morning, I wanted us to sing a song in conclusion. Last year, my family and I traveled one of our many pursuits at healing and benefit to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. One of, uh, we're a missions-minded church in Birmingham, and one of our key missionary leaders works for New Tribes. He's the pastoral care counselor, and one of the biggest challenges for missionaries around the world is Lyme disease. And he recommended a guy that had been helping many of their missionaries in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So many times people give us advice and direction with regard to potential solutions, and he recommended this guy. We prayed about it and looked online, kind of evaluated what he did or didn't do, and we decided we should go, and perhaps God would use that to help us. Last year, last October, we're in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, at a doctor's office. There's three days of treatment over a week. We did day number one, morning and evening. We come back on a Wednesday. That was a Monday. On Wednesday, we get back to the office. We get our treatment in the morning. And then the doctor looks at me and says, hey, what are you guys doing tonight? And this is a guy so busy that the backup to see him is months away. Took us several months to get there. I said, uh, no, nothing. We're just in town waiting on our Friday treatment. And uh, he said, uh, I want to take you to dinner. I want to take you and your family, Karen and Parker, to dinner. Take you to the lake resort in Coeur d'Alene. So we go to dinner. At dinner, we begin to talk, and he said, hey, what are you guys doing on the weekend? I said, we're just hanging around for our final treatment. And he said, listen, my wife and I have a condo in Kellogg, Idaho. It's at Silver Mountain. It's not going to be used. Would you guys like to do that? Would you like to go stay at our place over the weekend and until I get back from Los Angeles? Just enjoy your time. I got back to my Hampton Inn Hotel in Coeur d'Alene, and I looked at my wife, and I said, would you please tell me what just happened? When have you ever gone to the doctor's office? And he said, hey, you want to do dinner? <laughs> oh, and by the way, I have a condo. Do you want to do that? What just happened? Do you know what just happened? God was revealing God, and he was walking by saying, I see, I care, I will come, and I'm with you. And sometimes he comes in ways you wouldn't expect, at times you wouldn't expect. But he wants you to know he cares and he can. I am for you. 
I want to close today with this invitation. If you're here today and you're like me, and you're willing to stand not because your situation has changed, but because your convictions may have changed. You're willing to say as an act of honor to God, as an act of faith, the just live by faith, you know what? This is not natural. It doesn't feel good. My circumstances aren't good. I'm frustrated. I'm lonely. Things aren't working out. It's one thing after another. I'm rowing for all my I'm worth and going nowhere. But God, I believe you are who you say you are. You're sovereign over my circumstances. You care. You see. You can. You come. And I want to bear witness as an act of worship. I want to stand in honor of that truth. And I'd like us to close today, if that's your heart, not because it feels good, but because God is good. Would you stand in honor of him in light of that truth, if that's your desire today, if that's your conviction, and if that's your belief? And then I want to lead us in prayer, and we're going to sing. Thank you, Jesus, for reminding us of who you are and how much you care. By faith we believe and by choice we testify and trust. May your name be honored in heaven and on earth as we stand to give you glory, not because we feel good, but because you are good. Strengthen our heart, use our fear, our fatigue, our distress, our need to bring you glory and to reveal your unrivaled capacity. God, give us eyes to see and hearts to believe. In Jesus' name, amen.